Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45 is where I believe the Lord uh, guided me for this Sunday morning. It says there in Matthew 12 and 43, When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places or dry places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. That's how it will be with this wicked generation, says Jesus. And I think you'll agree with me in that passage of scripture. It's the greatest spring cleaning job that you've ever seen when you think of the house that was swept clean and put in order. We were saying last Sunday the word Lent means springtime. And we're saying that there are some churches that uh, uh, look at the whole period of Lent, the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter, and they make something of it. But there are many other churches that make nothing of it. I think that's sad in a way. But anyway, that's how it goes in church life. Except, of course, most churches would recognize Holy Week. And they talk about Palm Sunday and and Thursday... uh, uh, Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday of course but many don't even look at uh, uh, this um, Lent time but what we find there was last Sunday we find that many people want to think about the wilderness temptations and that's what we looked at last Sunday there might be some notes left I don't know of that message last Sunday and we're looking at it in terms of the power that the enemy wants to bring to us and, and he was virtually saying to Jesus in the wilderness you've got the power, use it turn these stones into bread or are we saying to Jesus in the second temptation, God's got the power, why don't you test it? And jump from the pinnacle of the temple. In the third case, the devil was really saying to Jesus, I've got the power, why don't you bow to it? I'll give you all of these, all of these kingdoms with their splendour, if only you will bow down and worship. And that's what we were thinking about last Sunday regarding the uh, temptations of Jesus. But spring cleaning is something that we all maybe have to do, we bit reluctant to do. I'm not very good at spring cleaning. I I have a a thing of procrastination. I'll do it tomorrow. But whenever Eileen's away, I sometimes go daft when Eileen's away. And I looked at the study, which will be this weekend, and I said, I think it needs a right good spring clean. So while she's away, I've ripped the shelves apart. I went to B&Q, maybe the Kilpatricks were looking across in the, in the rain. They saw me going away to B&Q and bringing bits of wood to make up new shelves. And of course I had to go away back to B&Q and get more supplies, I don't really know. But anyway, I was hard at it on Friday in all that rain. And so I've got all this spring cleaning. There's loads of stuff that I've thrown out. And there's more stuff to get thrown out as well. But spring cleaning is not something that we all like to do sometimes. But the sun, when it comes through the windows, that's when you really see the dirt and you realise we need to get these windows clean. So I'm waiting for my wife to come back for that. (laughs) 
but maybe my burst of inspiration will rub off on you this week. But I find it intriguing as to why Jesus uses this. Many commentators think of it as a parable. The parable of the unclean spirit going out of a man. Let me just say at the beginning, I don't believe Jesus is referring here to those who are true believers, who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe that's who Jesus is targeting here, because you'll see there in verse 38 of that chapter, it says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And Jesus seems to be addressing here those who are the Pharisees, those who are the teachers of the law. And from verse 38 onwards in that passage, he goes on to show that Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba will stand up on the day of judgment against these people because these Jews and these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, because Nineveh repented. And the Queen of Sheba was willing to go over a thousand miles to hear Solomon and to get something of his wisdom. But these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, all they were looking for was a miraculous sign. They weren't willing to repent. They weren't willing to come to know Christ as their saviour. But Jesus in this parable is teaching us something else. That he's teaching us about a rebuke and a warning. And then Jesus goes on to think about unclean spirits going out of a man. Or you could say a nation. Even the Jewish nation. That since the Babylonian captivity you might say that the Jews were not involved in idolatry to the same extent as they were before the Babylonian captivity. So you might say there was a kind of moral reformation in many of the Jewish lives and the leaders' lives. And it's as if they had a, a house that was swept clean and everything seemed to be in order. That's quite a picture we have here in this uh, wonderful staying of Jesus. The house has been swept clean and it's been put in order. As if Jesus is saying that, that these lives are, are not going through the same kind of adultery, that there are certain things they've put into place. And they think because they examine the scriptures, it says that in John's Gospel, you think because you examine the scriptures that you have eternal life, but you'll not come to me that you might have eternal life. And they thought by these actions that everything was okay. The house had been swept clean. Things had been put in order. And of course I think the hardest people to reach for the gospel are those who think that everything is okay. That the house has been swept clean. The house of their lives has been swept clean. And everything has been put in order. But you know this, but Jesus makes it clear that a house that's been swept clean but left empty is in danger of being worse than it ever was before. Because Jesus wants to try and show us here that the important words are that has the house being left empty. It's swept clean, 
It's put in order, but it's actually empty. As I said before, the hardest people to reach are those who think everything is okay. I'm alright, thank you very much. And they would be offended if you said to them, because perhaps you even know such people, and they seem to be good husbands and wives. They seem to be honest workers. They seem to be good parents. And they would be offended if you said to them that you are a sinner who is in need of a saviour. They'd be offended if they heard the words that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and the Sadducees or the teachers of the law. But Jesus said to these Pharisees and Sadducees that you are those who seek a miraculous sign are part of a wicked and adulterous generation. Imagine being told that. That if you seek a miraculous sign from the Lord, you're aligning yourself with those who are part of a wicked an adulterous generation. And there are many people in the world today who would be offended at that. I'm alright, thank you very much. The house is swept clean. Everything is in order. But having put the scripture in context here, I believe there's much help for us as believers as well as those who are seeking to know Christ. But what's so interesting here is the way that Jesus uses this parable when he speaks to these Pharisees and teachers of the law. What is Jesus trying to say to them? Well, I think one of the things he's trying to say to them is this. There are two ways of looking at life. You can look at life from the the external, from the physical, from the material, on the outside. Or you can get the inside story. The way that God sees things. The way the spirit world works. And there are many people today. And they look at their life from the external. Physically they may be fine. Materially they're comfortably well off. Or they're comfortable anyway. And they have this kind of life. That everything seems to be put in order. But Jesus says. There's another way of looking at life. You can see it from the inside. And there are things that are happening inside your life. Inside my life. That you need to know about. You really need to know this. What I believe he's trying to say is. There's a battle. In your life and mine. There's a battle for your heart. And for your mind. There's a battle for my heart and my mind. There's a battle for the hearts and minds of young people in the world today. And Jesus is saying to us, you need to see life not just on the externals or on the physical or on the material. These things may be working pretty well. You need to see it from the inside. What's going on in your heart and your mind? Because he's really telling us there's a battle going on in their hearts. And Paul underlines that in the in Ephesians. He said that the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And we've got to take knowledge and cognizance of the fact that we've got an enemy. The devil himself. And he's out to captivate your mind. Out to captivate your heart. He's out to take over these things. That outwardly he's saying to these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, outwardly they look the part. But inside there's looking for a miraculous sign. That's all they seem to want. Looking for a miraculous sign. 
were part of a wicked and adulterous generation. I wonder how many of us here are willing to admit the devil's having a field day with us. I had a minister in my home yesterday and he uh, through a rough time in his church and he said, Alec, he says, uh, have you ever experienced the oppression of the enemy in your life? Oh, I said, yeah, I have. Many times. And he would talk about times in his own life when sometimes it lasted a couple of months and the devil seemed to be oppressing him and just knocking him down. And I think we all experience that from time to time. This work of the enemy. And the Lord wants us to look at the inside story. Get the inside story. Get what's going on in your heart and mind. How the, these unclean spirits, how the enemy seeks to thwart the purposes of God in your life and mine. But not only does Jesus teach here the importance of the inside story of spiritual activity, but I find something else that's interesting here. Look at verse 43. That Jesus refers to the unclean spirit with reference to a man. But in verse 44, he refers to a house. Now I believe, I believe he means the same thing. He, he's talking about the holy unspirit, unclean spirit coming out of a man and he talks about the house being swept clean. But he mentions three things about the house. It's swept clean, it's put in order, but it's unoccupied. And I believe it's that last part is the part that Jesus wants us to latch onto. The very fact that it's empty, that it's unoccupied. And we know that an, un un an empty house is a house that's looking for trouble. But it happens in a house that's unoccupied. In a house, a home, a life that's empty. Now you may be asking yourself, what in the world brings all this evil back to the house, back to the person? And Jesus tells us, look at verse 43, when an evil spirit goes out of a man, it goes through arid places, seeking rest but does not find it. And, and it seems as if the devil is looking for arid places. It's looking for dry places. And when it can't find these dry places outside of a person's life, it looks for a body. It looks for a body. It looks for a dry place in which to rest. Now, of course, we know it's a parable that Jesus is, is speaking about here. But we all know that an arid and dry life will attract the attention of the enemy. Have you ever discovered that? That when you're dry, that when you haven't got that sense of the welling up of the spirit within you, out of your belly shall flow springs of living water. When you haven't got that, when you're so dry, it attracts the attention of the enemy. It just seems to me that when the enemy can't find a dry place outside, it comes seeking a dry place from within mankind. The devil and his angels are looking for a body. And undoubtedly there are many dry lives. There are a lot of dry Christians and dry people for him to make himself at home. But you know this? He'll never find rest in the believer who draws from the wells of salvation. He'll never find rest there. Could it be that your life has become dry, meaningless, without hope? 
Then listen to those words again, Isaiah 12 and verse 3. With joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. And that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord and call on his name. Make known among the nations that he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. With joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. The devil can never be at rest in that kind of life. And I find Isaiah 51 and verse 1. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread in your labor and what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, says the Lord in Isaiah. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richness of fear. Give ear and come to me. Hear me and your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you my faithful love promised to David come on come you that are thirsty when you come the devil will never find a resting place in your life you'll never find it let me come to the final point which I think is the important one the fact is the house is empty, it's unoccupied, it's swept clean, it's put in order, but it's empty. And if you're wondering what that house should be filled with, what that life should be filled with, the answer is quite clear. It should be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It should be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have heard of Alan Redpath. He was a great, he used to be the pastor at uh, uh, the church, big church in Edinburgh, Charlotte Chapel. He also was a great preacher in Keswick and Filich. And Alan Redpath used to give this illustration of the Trinity. He was thinking about it in terms of a house. And he said there would be two men walking down the road and looking at a house. And one man would say to the other man, That's my house. And they would walk on. And he said there would be two other men walking down the same street, looking at the same house, and one man would say to the other man, that's my house. And they would walk on. Then he said there would be two other men walking down the same street, looking at the same house, and one man would say to the other, that's my house. Now Alan Redpath would say, how could the three of them say, that's my house? See, it was quite simple. The first man could say it's my house because he built it. The second man could say it's my house because I bought it. And the third man could say it's my house because I actually live in it. And he used an illustration of the function of the Trinity. The Father says, you're mine because I created you. And Jesus can say, you're mine because I bought you. And the Holy Spirit can say, you're mine, because I indwell you, I fill you. And that's what we want to see in our lives. We want the Holy Spirit to fill our lives. And yet we know that we receive the Holy Spirit at conversion. The Bible makes that clear. But what does Paul say to the Galatians? He says, have you been so foolish to have begun in the Spirit and to end up in the flesh? You began in the spirit, but you've ended up in the flesh. You see, there's such a thing, I believe, as the receiving of the spirit and the releasing of the spirit. 
I believe we need to let the Spirit be released in our life. What does that mean? What is this releasing of the Holy Spirit? I believe it means a releasing in speaking. I think it's Wesley, as it can it be, your loosened tongues employ, doesn't it? I believe the Lord wants to loosen our tongue to speak on his behalf and, and share the gospel to loosen our tongues to praise him and to adore him and to speak whatever language he wants to give us that wonderful release of speaking in the name of Jesus a release in understanding that there's such a thing as the gift of wisdom and the, the gift of knowledge that God gives us insight into all kinds of situations there's a release in touching in the New Testament there's something powerful about the laying on of hands when they laid hands on people they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were sent out to be God's apostles and to be missionaries there's a release in creating things were coming to pass and, and being created life itself because of the power of the Holy Spirit there's a release in serving a release in loving each other a release in power oh folks we need to see that empty house occupied. Even more than that, we need to see that empty house furnished. Furnished with all that it means to have that release of the Holy Spirit in our life. Furnished with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Bible, every picture of the Holy Spirit is a picture of movement. You ever seen that? He's a fire that's blazing and roaring in endless movement. He is flowing oil, penetrating the very depths of our Christian experience. He is a bubbling spring, water in its most mobile form. He's a howling gale as at the day of Pentecost. There's a violent wind on the day of Pentecost. Oh, beloved, we need to tell the enemy... This house is not yours. This is not your accommodation. We need to serve an eviction order on the enemy. The devil is not the only one who says, I will return. I know somebody else who says, I will return. I'm coming back. Our wonderful Lord says, I will return. In a sense, the Holy Spirit is the caretaker. He's looking after things for us. Until Christ returns himself. And when the devil says, this is my house. The Holy Spirit says, no, no. This is my temple. And a temple is even better than a house. A temple is a place of sacrifice. A temple is a place where we lay all on the altar for Jesus. Friends, Jesus said that the empty, unoccupied house becomes seven times worse. Know what it says in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 20? If you've got your Bibles, why don't you look it up with me? Daniel chapter 1 and verse 20. Ezekiel, Daniel. You'll find it there in the Old Testament. Ezekiel, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 20. Daniel chapter 1. I want you to underline this verse in your heart and mind. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 20. You know what it says there? Chapter 1 and verse 20. It says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, that's Daniel and his friends, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Did you get that? He was ten times better. 
Listen folks, do you want to be seven times worse? Or do you want to be ten times better? I know what I want to be. And if we leave that life of ours unoccupied, empty, you might think it's swept clean, everything's in order, I don't need a saviour, I tell you, you do. And if your life has become dry, it's seeking the attraction of the enemy. It's time to furnish the house. It's time to fill that life of ours with the power of the Spirit. And perhaps you haven't even come to know Jesus yet. It's time to welcome him. To tell the devil to get out. And to tell Jesus, will you come in? The time, folks, is now. This is not something you can put off for some other time. And if you are a Christian, you say, Lord, I've received your spirit. I just want that spirit to be released in every area of my life. In my speaking, in my understanding, in my touching, in my all these areas. I just want a release of the Spirit of God in my heart and life. Because when I'm dry, it attracts the attention of the enemy. I don't want to be seven times worse. I want, like Daniel and his friends, to be ten times better. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.